Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Two Ball Guys. Uh, today, we'll be discussing the Toward One Wisconsin Conference, which Wisconsin's premier statewide effort to address the issues of equity, diversity, and inclusion. My name is Dave Anderson. I'm a senior policy fellow here at the Wisconsin Institute for Public Policy and Service, otherwise known as WIPS. And back from his travels with me today is my regular co-host, Eric Giordano. Welcome back, Eric. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Good to be back. Uh, as Dave said, my name is Eric Giordano. I'm the executive director of WIPS. And by the way, for those who are not familiar with WIPS, we are a unit of the University of Wisconsin system founded in 2007 with a mission to educate and engage citizens, develop future leaders, and bring the resources of the university to address community identified needs. So Dave, uh, while I was away, I did have a chance to watch a recording of last week's episode and our special guest, Jeff Mayers, president of WIS Politics, Wisconsin's premier political news service who co-hosted with you. And I think he did a really terrific job. Uh, in fact, he did such a good job that I thought you might wanna permanently replace me. He did a fabulous job, Eric. And I, I have to tell you, I, I don't know if uh, Jeff mentioned this to you, but I actually floated the idea by him of replacing you. Um, but he declined. So I think your spot is safe for the time being. So just saying. Well, thank you, I think. <laughs> but, you know, I did really enjoy last week's show and especially um, the students. Remember the, the topic, for those of you who didn't get a chance to see it, was uh, students returning to school in the COVID environment. And, and really the student guests were just really fantastic. And so a big shout out to them and their parents for allowing them to do that and for their thoughtful participation. You know, Dave, on a negative side, I was really disappointed um, with Jeff, with all due respect. I mean, I love the man, but, um, uh, and I, I'm going to use some air quotes here. He didn't, he didn't use, he didn't do any bald puns or jokes. And he said he didn't think it was appropriate for a guest host to insult the regular host. Now, Jeff, I just want to say, if you're listening, I would argue that to, to refuse to insult the guest, the guest host was itself an insult. So are you following me here, Dave? Is that, would you agree with that? There you go. Well, I, you know, it, it is what it is, right? <laughs> well, anyway, speaking of insulting ambiguity, I'd like to share a story with you and our viewers about something that happened to me last week. I was preparing to moderate a webinar for our friends at the League of Wisconsin Municipalities, and I had a virtual background on someone of the one that you see today, and I was asking the producer before the show if she thought that the background was okay, or she preferred that I use a you know, natural background like you have, Dave. And she said, and I, again, use air quotes, it depends on whether or not you think your hair will get in the way. That's what she said to me. Now, now Dave, I, I just have to ask, was this a cheap shot, bald reference, or was she feeling really sorry for me and just trying to boost my ego? Um, either way, I'm just not quite sure how I feel about it. Well, you know, Eric, I, I wouldn't consider that a cheap shot at all. To be honest, I've started to notice that people in the general public are beginning to internalize our two bald guys personas. I can't tell you how often I've been hearing people refer to us that way. And yes, to even crack a joke or make a comment about our hairlines. Um, I consider it a compliment. So it doesn't bother me one bit, Eric, when I say to you, I'm not saying you're going bald, but you'll find Waldo before you'll actually find your hairline. Doesn't bother me to say that to you at all. <laughs> it's good to know you're you're a big man, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, <laughs> by the way, Eric, if our viewers have a hair joke or a pun they want to share with us, 
or if they have any comments or show ideas, uh, they can email us at info at wips.org. And during the live show, viewers can make comments or pose questions to our guests via the Facebook chat, chat section. And we want to remind our viewers that the show wouldn't be possible without our crack producer, Chill Hop DJ, and yes, our one paid loyal viewer, Luke Grudoff, who also serves as our token representative of an attractive younger demographic. Thanks a lot, Luke. We really appreciate your support for the show and, and everything you do for us. Um, hey, Luke, I understand you've got some breaking news for us uh, that could have a direct impact on today's show. I do, and thank you for the kind words. I do appreciate it. So Dwayne The Rock Johnson, longtime friend of the show, announced on Wednesday that he and his family had recently tested positive for coronavirus. Mr. Johnson said they had become infected around two and a half weeks ago. and He called it one of the most challenging and difficult things we ever had to endure as a family, but added that he and his family were now on the other end of it and were healthy and no longer contagious. While the symptoms were mild for his youngest daughters, Mr. Johnson said he and his wife had a rough go with the virus. Mr. Johnson also urged people to wear masks. Yeah, thanks, Luke. And, and for our two faithful viewers who occasionally watch the show, they'll know that uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is a recurring guest of ours. Unfortunately, we usually run out of time, uh, but he's always been very gracious, Dave, and will, his willingness to join us each week. But today, he will definitely not be joining us. So as Luke pointed out, you know, with his family, and he, you know, he's this, decided he wants to spend a little more time with his family this week. And so, Mr. The Rock, we, we promise uh, to have you on next week. And we hope that you all are fully recovered and we look forward to seeing you. So um, it's time we get to today's topics and guests. Uh, today's topic, as Dave mentioned, is the Toward One Wisconsin Conference, which is a conference on building communities of equity and opportunity in our state. And this year, because of COVID, the conference has pivoted to become all virtual and will take place over three days on November 11, 12, and 13. And it's gonna feature some really exciting speakers, panels, presentations, and special guest artists and performers. Some of the headliners include um, Hillary Ware, who's going to be a keynote speaker and she's corporate counsel for Netflix. Nicole Hannah-Jones of the New York Times Magazine and originator of the 1619 Project. And multiple panels and presentations, for example, um, with, some, with some Wisconsin superstars, people like Ruben Anthony from the Urban League in Madison, Paul Transinzio, who happens to be a guest today from the UW Population Health Institute, Dasha Kelly Hamilton, an author, poet, and transformation artist from Milwaukee, and Jared Adams, a defense attorney, wrongfully convicted and incarcerated and later freed through the Innocence Project, and many, many more wonderful folks who will be joining us um, for the conference. We'd also like to acknowledge our conference founding sponsor, Church Mutual Insurance. And uh, we have a, a guest representing Church Mutual today. And of course, our premier sponsor, Associated Bank. We're also excited to be partnering with the UW Population Health Institute for a special pre-conference day, which our guests will be talking about in a moment. And we just wanna thank all of our partners and sponsors for all that they're doing to help support the conference. You can learn more about the conference by visiting t1w.org. And so without further ado, Dave, why don't we uh, address uh, introduce today's guests. Sounds great. It's a real pleasure for me to introduce our guest lineup for today. Uh, first, we have Rich Poirier, who's the CEO of Church Mutual Insurance in Merrill, and also a conference co-chair. We also have Jessica Cavesos, who's the CEO and president of the Latino Chamber of Commerce in Madison. We have Paula Traninzio, the director of Mobilizing Action Toward Community Health at the UW 
Population Health Institute and a co-chair for our upcoming conference in 2021. And we also have Maria Shermer devette community coach uh, also with uh, Mobilizing Action for Community Health. So welcome to our guests. Hopefully they'll all pop up online here. <laughs> Fantastic, there they are. They needed a special invitation. <laughs> well, welcome everyone, we're really glad to have you. Thanks for being here, um, very exciting. And I get to ask the first question and I'm just gonna dive right in and, and Rich, I'm gonna direct it at you, but certainly if anyone uh, wants to um, also comment, they're welcome to. So Rich, we gotta give credit where credit is due. Um, we wouldn't really be having this annual conference on diversity, inclusion, and equity without your energy and insistence. Um, can you tell us like what motivated you to come up with the idea of this conference and tell us a little bit how that got, how it got started? Sure. Um, when I became CEO at Church Mutual uh, almost five years ago, we're a mutual holding company. And what that means is we're owned by our policyholder. And I challenged the staff uh, to take a deep look at who our owners were. And much to my joy uh, and amazement, 50% uh, of the policyholders who make up Church Mutual, and obviously by our name, we largely represent home, houses of worship, 50% of our owners were Black and Latino. And I looked around the boardroom and I said, um, we don't look like our customers. And the journey began. Uh, I believe um, ignorance is one of the largest roadblocks uh, to equity and inclusion. So we were committed at that point, it was an aha moment, that we were going to not just uh, talk the corporate talk, but we were going to begin to walk the walk. And I recall talking with you, Eric, uh, one day, and I said, um, education starts in our backyard. Wouldn't it be cool? if we could launch a conference in Wisconsin and particularly possibly in the North uh, to open some folks' eyes. And obviously from that uh, humble uh, request, the Toward One uh, conference was launched and uh, has been highly successful. So that's it in a nutshell. It was a desire to educate and increase awareness in our state. And um, that, that was the impetus. Thanks, Rich. Well, Rich, we really appreciate your, your leadership in this area. And um, I, I can't tell you how often we point to the work that Church Mutual is doing uh, to other employers across the state. So thanks for being such a great uh, role model and a, a great example of a, of a best practice. Um, uh, our next question will go to, uh, to Jessica. Jessica, there's a lot of other conferences, both nationally and here in the state of Wisconsin, that address issues of equity, diversity, and, in, and inclusion. The one thing that we think is really unique about the Toward One Wisconsin conference is that it deliberately cuts across the different sectors, health, education, private sector, nonprofit, government, you name it. Um, tell us a little bit about why you think that's important and why you think that matters. Well, I think for the reason that Rich said, right, I, I think he looked across that boardroom and he realized that there was a missing element to the, the service 
that he's providing to his members. And that is, that is uh, having that intentionality when you're talking about diversity and, and really, I think the convention itself or the conference itself has uh, a great platform for dialogue. Um, I love the fact that there is diverse populations coming together, creating solutions that really are going to impact not just, you know, rural areas, but also the, the urban areas and, and uh, what I love the most is the fact that um, we are in this time, this really grave time of COVID and um, where businesses and communities are struggling. It, it, I, I believe this platform is really needed for people to understand what are the gaps in, in different communities and what the solutions are to really drive uh, change within those communities. And so, you know, when I look at the 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 speakers, and I also see, you know, within our, our conference uh, goals and outcomes, you know, how we want to really strengthen and expand networks in that cross, that cross uh, sectionality between industry, nonprofit, for profit, you know, and, and um, private sectors and, and public sectors, I think the conference really does a great job to, to enlighten folks on what really is happening out there what we can do as individuals to change that and how we're gonna provide solutions uh, as one unit and not as separate, uh, separate organizations, but coming together as one to, to really uh, move Wisconsin forward. So uh, that's why I'm excited to be part of, of the conference. Great, thank you very much. Yeah, we're excited to have you involved. Mm -hmm. um, our next question, we're gonna turn over to Paula and Maria. And um, I don't know, Paula and Maria, if our respective marketing teams are going to be really happy with us because we're kind of letting the cat out of the bag here. We're going to have a formal announcement about this next week, but we are so excited because we are partnering together with Match and, and UW Poff Health Institute for, with a, on a pre-conference um, day. And I want to ask you guys about that. Um, so the theme of this pre-conference day is racism is a public health crisis in Wisconsin. And I wonder if you can explain to our audience sort of what you mean by that. And then we're gonna follow up with a little more about some details about that. Sure, thanks so much. And we're uh, also thrilled to be partnering uh, with uh, WIPS uh, to bring together folks around the state as the conference co-chairs has said to really think about um, uh, shouldering up to um, uh, think about uh, the best strategies that work for communities across the state. Um, so uh, as you said, our pre-conference is uh, uh, racism is a public health crisis. Uh, and we hope to have a special focus on what we can do about that. There's been decades of research that has been done um, in public health and health literature to really lift up the fact that uh, 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 inequities by uh, race are really driven by structural racism alongside of a range of other um, way, uh, ways that that impacts systems and policies. So we're really excited to uh, 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 identify uh, examples of groups around the state and around the country that have signed on to a declaration that um, uh, has 
uh, been gaining momentum over the last decade, but really over the last three years, um, we've seen organizations like the Wisconsin Public Health Association step up and really call their members to action around not just saying that racism is a public health crisis, but also attaching that to concrete actions. Um, uh, we've partnered with WPHA to create a sign-on on our website, uh, and since that website went live in 2018, we've had over 100 organizations sign on uh, and also commit to actions as well as over um, 500 individuals sign on around their individual uh, work to advance uh, racial equity in the state. Dave, uh, you can follow up with a question or you want me to go ahead? Uh, yeah, no, I, I'll, I'll follow up with a, a question for Maria. Uh, Maria, I know we're still flushing out uh, what this day is centered on addressing racism is, is actually gonna look, going to look like, uh, but can you give us a quick overview of how we will be addressing the issue during the, the pre-conference and tell us in, in broad terms what you would like to see happen as a result of uh, the pre-conference day exploring racism? Absolutely. Um, thanks again for having us and for this opportunity to, to work together and really highlight um, kind of this important work across the state. Um, Jessica, I liked what you said about really moving towards one Wisconsin and what can that look like. And I think with um, really, really addressing racism as one of the root causes um, and really, as Paula was saying, what, what can we do about it? Um, so we're really hoping that people who attend this pre-conference, um, we're really focusing on kind of different different ways that someone could could enact change kind of in their life. So we'll be looking at individual things that someone could do um, within organizations. What are what are organizational change efforts? And then what are policy level things that um, kind of we can be moving forward and pushing for? Um, and and our hope for the day is that people will be inspired and motivated and challenged to really, really take action and continue to take action because we are at a moment right now um, that we want to, we want to move it forward. Um, and really, really, we're hoping to that this, this can be an opportunity for people to, to come together and do that. Yeah, thanks, Maria and Paul. And you know, while we're so excited to be partnering and, and doing this pre-conference day, of course, we're not very excited about the reasons why we have to do this. Um, and there's so many things happening across the country and of course in, in Wisconsin, right in our backyard, uh, that, that are really disturbing. And so, uh, but I'm grateful that we have you guys on board and you're gonna help lead these kind of cross cutting sectoral conversations about what we can do in the state. So thank you so much. And, and again, can you just remind us if our viewers want to check out the declaration and pledge and sign that, how, how can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we can share a link with you if that's a way to kind of get it out to people who are watching, but um, on the UW-Madison Population Health Institute website, um, there is a tab around declaring racism a public health um, crisis. And then on there, there is a, there's a hyperlink on there to actually sign and take the pledge. So when you're there, you'll kind of get some of the history that Paula was talking about. We have also um, been engaging folks who sign on in the community of practice. So that's open to anyone who's signed on um, to really continue to, to kind of build, um, build this momentum together. So um, I'll drop a link now in, in our chat box and maybe maybe Luke can share it out with some, some tech magic.
Yeah, we'll definitely have Luke do that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Jessica, I'd like to turn to you for a minute. Now, you know, you um, obviously as being the head of a major um, chamber of commerce that, that deals directly with uh, Latinx businesses, right, in, in Dane County, you know, you, you've been representing these businesses and their concerns for years. And um, I'm just kind of curious, what are some of the issues around equity, diversity, inclusion that, that they're concerned about that you hear from these businesses? And, you know, what are those top things that, that they're talking to you about? Well, I, I, I'll say that right now because of COVID, they're talking about the inequities with funding and the access to funding, you know, to keep their businesses uh, sustainable and ongoing. Um, I'll, I'll say that in the grant programs and the PPP programs through the SBA, a lot of the Latino owned businesses were left out and, and it wasn't, um, it, I will say it's a systemic issue because the, the curve of learning and the curve of actually being a part of the ecosystem takes a little longer for these new businesses. And so what we heard is that um, there was not that understanding or that there was a lot of these companies already had a structural, uh, an infrastructure that maintained or allowed them to apply and get funding. While a lot of our small Latino owned businesses didn't have that infrastructure. And so they struggled. They struggled to apply for PPP. They struggled to figure out what to do next. There was dual language barriers, Spanish, you know, um, a lack of Spanish um, outreach, um, health barriers. As frontline workers, they were also in front of, of, of the the situation in a much aggressive way and uh, without the healthcare system supporting them to be able to, you know, to, let's say, in the most simplest of terms, just protect their families. So um, that's the, the most recent issue. And, and um, I'll tell you that the chamber received about 1,200 calls in the matter of three months or so from March to, to about uh, the beginning of June or May. And um, those all those calls were, how do we navigate the system? What do we have to do? What are the mandates? And so all those things came down to really uh, create this, this um, where I think we woke up and said, hey, there is a systemic issue going on. There is, you know, there's also racial disparities. There's, there's this, this, the CARES Act came in and, and gave, uh, you know, gave the opportunity to kind of create a, a solution for this. But a lot of Latino organizations and Latino serving entities weren't invited to the table to discuss how we were going to help our community, you know, navigate this. So I, I really think that some of the issues, you know, um, pr predominantly with our Latino owned businesses are liquidity. You know, they, we have, you know, 30 day, 30 day liquidity. So a month of revenue to, to, to live off of as a business owner when normal, you know, non-Latino businesses have at least six months to a year. So um, it, it has been a challenge, um, but I like challenges. I just think now we have to, you know, start uh, the conversations of how do we get people at the table that, that understand the cultural differences, the language barriers, the, what impacts the community, the lack of healthcare and systemic, um, um, it, it, systemic, I'll say, people who understand the system who can address the issue could, and then include some of these uh, leaders that are out there that can then provide services directly. And, and, um, and, and I, I really think the conference is going to do that. I think it's going to shed light of some of the issues that are going on with COVID right now and how we can really be equitable in, in addressing them. So 
Yeah, that's that's I, I, in in a nutshell. There's a lot going on in the Latino community, but I think we we're uh, we're we're working on creating solutions at this point. Yeah, thanks. That's a pretty big nutshell, and it, it kind of reminds <laughs> me. We in a previous episode we had the uh, head of the uh, Hmong Chamber of Wisconsin, her, and and she actually expressed some of the very similar things that that you've expressed. So I really appreciate that. Um, Rich, you know, uh, before I get, uh, this question will be for you, but before I do, I, I want to give a shout out to our friends and, and colleagues and, and um, co-conspirators, if you will, in Green Bay, because originally this conference was going to be face-to-face in the Green Bay area. And we're so sad, you know, that we couldn't do this face-to-face for obvious reasons, but we, we, we so much appreciate that community and the support that they've given to the conference. Um, and, you know, there were so many um, things that they were bringing to the table, and they still are in the virtual world. For example, there's going to be a CEO panel that's going to take place uh, during, I think it's on day two of the conference, um, really kind of focusing a lot on what businesses are doing and can do in this space of equity, diversion, and inclusion. So, Rich, I kind of want to turn to you a little bit as a CEO yourself, Um you know, what do you think is, are some of the greatest needs within the business community in the United States or Wisconsin in this space? Like, what is it that business can be concretely doing, you know, to, to improve uh, around these issues? Well, uh, thanks. Um, you know, most businesses have uh, corporate giving or foundations, obviously, that they maintain. So COVID has laid bare uh, a lot of inequities Um, there are a number of studies that show based on your zip code, your access to healthcare, your, and I was, you were spot on in talking about the ability to get CARES funding and how there's such a disproportionate impact depending on uh, the size and whether you're a minority owned uh, business owner. So what we can do as uh, stewards and corporate citizens is provide uh, funds. So in our case, uh, I'll I'll give you some sobering statistics and these may not be uh, individual to Wisconsin. In the early uh, part of the COVID crisis, uh, we launched an African-American pastor minister advisory council, uh, hoping to talk about policy and how we could pivot our foundation uh, to do uh, good works. In, in short order, we found out that COVID was, was just wrecking and wreaking havoc in the African-American and Latino communities. In a span of three months, 90 senior clergy in African-American ministries were dead from the crisis as they were ministering. Uh, we had one uh, very well-known uh, pastor in Chicago indicating that he was holding two funerals every week. So it really started to open our eyes to the health. Then we started getting a lot of requests to uh, supply food pantries. And then finally, uh, our good partner down in Milwaukee, Holy Redeemer, who are great folks, uh, they're the Church of God in Christ, the Daniels family, took matters into their own hands and said, Rich, we'd like funds to set up testing at our Boys and Girls Club, our Y and our church, because tracing and tracking down, because the local government isn't helping us, because where we're located. Uh, so we gave them a, a spot grant of $10,000, you know, right off the top. 
So we have, uh, we have decided that COVID and the inequities that have flowed from COVID are where we're going to plant our flag on the ground. So our annual budget at our uh, CM Cares, the Church Mutual Foundation, I went to our board and said, I want to put about a million dollars of that towards COVID. And uh, with a disproportionate amount of the money flowing to people of color, because the need is just so great and the uh, atrocities that are happening, you know, in these communities, we can't, we can't ignore. Uh, so uh, it truly opened my eyes. Uh, my oldest son, Rich Jr., who you know, uh, Eric, uh, is a physician at Fort Bragg in the Army. And I thought, well, we're taking good care of our military, right? Uh, a disproportionate number of COVID patients that are coming into the base are Latino and Black. And, they're, uh, and, 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 and what, what COVID is undercovering is that many of these populations were rendered vulnerable because before COVID, they weren't able to get routine health care. They weren't getting the right um, a diet and, and, and food, you know, because that's all they could afford. So if there's any good that's going to come from this horrible pandemic is that some uncomfortable truths have been laid bare about the racial inequality that starts with simple things like nutrition, access to healthcare, the education so you know what a proper diet is, the education that you know when you need to go to the doctor so that you're not put in that vulnerable class. When you look at the comorbidities that make you most susceptible to a bad outcome in COVID, 80% of those comorbidities are rampant in populations of color. That's not a coincidence. So it's hopefully causing corporate citizens like us to, to relook at where we're applying our uh, funds and where we're applying our efforts uh, because we have an obligation to be a safety net uh, where the government may not be able to uh, provide solutions. So we feel very strongly about that, as you can probably tell from my comments. And um, it's, it's realigned uh, where a lot of our corporate thinking is going to be in the future. And I challenge fellow Wisconsin CEOs, do you really need to put your name on a baseball stadium? Maybe that money needs to be diverted to the communities uh, that um, are suffering. You know, that's where the money can do the most good. Thank you. If it's possible, I'd love to just piggyback on, yeah, on that yeah, thinking. Um, over the past several months, our, our team within the Population Health Institute has um, been deployed to the state response. So um, we've uh, had the privilege to work alongside of our state governmental partners to really um, dig into what exactly what was described, this sort of uh, these twin uh, uh, crises, right? Public health crises, the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as structural racism. And we're seeing um, very clearly uh, these uh, pandemics and crises come to a head exactly as you're saying, because uh, many people of color, Black, Indigenous, uh, and other folks of color have a whole lot of underlying uh, health conditions because of our systems and structures and accessibility. Uh, and we're seeing uh, that manifest across not just 
individual level health, but uh, when we're th thinking about who's disproportionately essential workers and newly essential workers, it becomes compounded. So I think uh, this call to action for the business community to take leadership is just so important because it's not just um, the way folks eat uh, and what they've had access to and uh, you know their ability to safely exercise, but whether or not they have a safe and stable place to isolate and quarantine if they've been exposed, um, if they have ability to take time off work without losing their jobs and still being able to pay uh, for their families <laughs> to have health. Um, so I think uh, the platform that Toward One um, uh, has brought together around uh, what our business leaders can do, what those in our education systems, you know, the tough decisions that schools have to make in this moment will disproportionately impact those that were not getting good education to begin with. So, you know, our systems, um, our social, economic, and environmental conditions and the ways we can address inequities in those systems are just as important as everything we're doing in our healthcare system right now to address those inequities, which is why I think the platform of Toward One is so important right now to bring these leaders together. Yeah, we, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but but uh, everything is so interconnected, right? And again, I think the unique part of this conference is in fact, bringing people together from across sectors to really focus on, on that inter, interconnectivity. And uh, yeah, I, think, I think this is really an important part of the, of the discussion. Um, Jessica, I'd like to turn back to the conference for, for just a moment. Um, Maria had shared earlier what she'd like to see happen as a result of the pre-conference stay uh, exploring racism. I'd like to ask you a similar question. Um, generally speaking, um, what role do you think the conference can have in constructively addressing the issue of diversity, inclusion, and equity? How, uh, what, what, what do you want to get out of this conference for the state of Wisconsin? Well, you know, I just, I, I want to say, I want to commend Rich for actually detailing what should happen in, in, in the investment of, of communities that have been always impacted by all these issues. I think Paula put it just perfectly, you know, that social economic piece that, that has impacted Latinos and African-American communities and all other communities. I mean, we deal with immigrant communities as business owners and we are seeing a, a grave impact at all levels. So not only, you know, are, are there disemployment issues and there are, uh, what Paula said as far as, you know, there, that cohabitation of families and in, in, in multiple generation of families in one place. And so, you know, I'll give you an example. We had a construction company that one person got ill then five people in that same company all contact, contracted COVID and they took it home to their families. And then you had a, a multiple members of the families get, get, you know, again, contact or get COVID. And so for me, it was like an eye opener because now not only are, is the operation, the business, you know, um, uh, not operating, not only do we have people who can't pay the rent, they can't pay, you know, the light. They're, they're, you know, at the. Some of them are even at the, the, the cusp of becoming homeless. Um, these are all issues that are happening, and they're happening. It happening here in Madison. It's, you know, I come from Milwaukee, so Milwaukee. I've, I've been, privy to a lot of disparities, and even growing up in a very, you know, in a very. Um, a community that I've seen a great need, but you know, in Madison, just to see how 
um, the this issue, this how COVID has impacted and in, in our interconnectivity that it doesn't really matter who you are, where you come from, that you could actually, you know, you could impact the person next to you because of health, right? Health issues and the disparities that Richie were talking about as far as that not knowing how to, you know, one, you know, the healthcare issues, you know, how to, how to, you know, uh, take care of your, your health and how to, you know, um, we as a chamber have, have been proactive and partnered with an organization called the Latino Health Council so that we could provide free masks to uh, business owners so they can provide their customers information on why, why it's important to wear a mask and what the mandate you know, in, entails. So the conference I think will one, expose what situations are going on in each municipality or different regions and also what you can do as a, let's say as a CEO to reinvest in those communities. And, and, and I know that for us, it's, it's been even as an organization, as a 501c3, um, being on the front lines, trying to help uh, filter these calls and help everyone from, you know, and these are all even non-Latinos coming to us, wondering how to navigate the, the mandates. Um, I think it's been a very um, interesting and trying ride for the staff, trying to figure out you know, we're trying to figure it out in real time with them, you know, trying to read over the information, trying to become educated on how we can help. And I think this conference is going to bring to light those issues, bring to light the fact that, you know, we have disparities in this community. How can we resolve those disparities? How can we address, you know, the inequities? How can we, um, you know, make our policy uh, holders or our legislators, you know, accountable for these communities as well, pipelining funding to communities that really need it and, and, and not continuously trying to, to, to ignore that we do have a minority, a growing minority constituency in Wisconsin. So, you know, um, I just hope to, to unveil all that and, and address all that, you know, so that we can help our, our state move forward. Thanks. Thank you, oh, Jessica. Uh, this is for uh, Paula and Maria. Now, you know, um, a lot of people may not be aware. Uh, I, I'm not going to claim that I was significantly aware of the the history of the work that your organization has been doing. Right. I mean, if you just think about the name of the shop that you guys direct and represent, mobilizing action towards community health, and 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 this isn't a new idea for you. You've been addressing racism as a public health crisis for at least a couple of years, few years maybe. Um, many public health officials across the country have, have recognized this long before many of us that there are so many determinants that are affecting issues of inclusion, diversity, and equity. And so we really applaud what you've been doing. And I, I want you to really share a little bit with our audience about what you've been doing, about some of the steps you've been taking. And that's why I, I just want to say we're so personally and, and, and collectively grateful to be partnering with you on this conference because of the work you've already done. You've laid that foundation. Can you share a little bit about that work? Sure, and this work certainly goes beyond Maria and myself, but um, I, I believe the first uh, uh, Wisconsin uh, health report card came out in 2004-2006. So the Population Health Institute has been involved with um, lifting up data to show differences in outcomes by race in place 
in Wisconsin for a long time and that uh, they've uh, over the years partnered with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation at the national level to support county health rankings um, across the country. So ranking every county in the country um, to help folks understand where they fall among uh, both our health today, which is measured in um, our, our uh, rates of premature death and also morbidity, but also looking at what they call an insight to what our health outcomes will be tomorrow, which is really those social, economic, and environmental drivers of health, um, which has really created a platform, I think, nationally to help um, uh, other folks in other sectors see their role. Um, and we've continued that work in Wisconsin over the past several years to build on uh, efforts to show the impact of racism, not just race in particular. Um, so uh, 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 being uh, systems valuing um, uh, particular parts of the community differently by allocating resources and structures, right? So racism as a, uh, one system that structures opportunity and the way we uh, allocate resources. Um, so have been working alongside of partners across uh, UW-Madison campus, researchers, as well as across the state. Uh, we've had uh, the Wisconsin Partnership Programs investing in um, infant mortality inequities for well over 10 years. And I would say it's uh, the exciting work over the last maybe three to five years to really say racism is the driver of uh, a public health crisis has been a national movement um, that the American Public Health Association and others have really stood behind um, because it's not just um, the fact that we want to close gaps downstream and outcome, but also pointing to how we address um, solutions for how we make decisions, who's at the table when those decisions are made, um, and how systems um, uh, can be adjusted and our uh, practices and organizational changes can be put in place to along the spectrum of health and what we call in public health upstream drivers, um, how we can also close gaps uh, in inequities in the ways we make decisions as well as um, influencing those outcomes long term. So uh, that work um, uh, uh, has been uh, a way to evolve our verbal commitments and it's been really um, both heartbreaking for uh, the events of um, the recent months that have uh, created another swell. I won't say it's the first swell. I think we've had many swells over the past few years with more uh, visible um, violent events, but this recent swell to really encourage even our governor to say, you know, racism is a public health crisis and we need to treat it as a public health crisis, um, which means uh, really understanding the root causes and the multiple ways that we can um, address the ways our policies and systems continue to produce the outcomes uh, that um, they've been designed to. So we really need to think about a redesign in our systems and policies and the way we work together as government leaders, private sector leaders and community leaders to really um, tackle those processes and not just the outcomes. Thank you. Well, we, we, we have kind of a concluding question for all of you, and we'd love to have each of you respond if you choose. Um, sort of a, a wrap-up question. Um, from your personal perspectives and professional perspectives, how, how will we know that we're achieving success, if that's the right term, over time in our efforts, you know, not only to cure or the problem of racism, but, you know, other 
other things, other issues, uh, discrimination, bias, uh, systemic uh, racism and discrimination in our communities and our businesses and our organizations? Like, how will we know, you know, that we're having success, that we're making a difference? Wow, not an easy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I you... issued uh, I issued a challenge to my team a year ago, and uh, there were a bunch of it, there was silence and almost some blank stares. And I we we posed a question to our thirty senior leaders, and it was very simple: Wouldn't it be great if? And then the second question was: We could get there by blank. And when we uh, we got to me. I said, wouldn't it be great 10 years from now if I came back to the company and it was led by a, an African-American or Latino female and we could get there if we begin to recruit and hire and not to make excuses uh, in the uh, space of uh, diversity. So as you know, in football, they have the so-called Rooney rule where if a head coaching job becomes available a person of color has to be uh, in the in, in the interview, uh, and, and it's had mixed success, certainly in the NFL. Uh, we instituted that rule a couple of years ago at our company, uh, and I'm happy to say um, it's starting um, to make, uh, to get some traction. We hired an African-American uh, lawyer out of Marquette University who hailed from Chicago, and she was courageous enough to move to Wausau a year ago. Um, the amount of, um, you can look around the building when she comes to a meeting and some of the other women of color see an attorney who is 26 years old and African-American and the first in her family to go to college. It's very powerful. So I think you will know you have success when you start looking around boardrooms and C-suites and the people don't look like two bald guys and rich, right? Uh, you will know you've had success when African-American males can go jogging in their neighborhood and when a police car goes by, uh, they're not nervous. You will know you have success when mothers don't have to tell their children how to behave uh, when they're pulled over by the police department. And, and don't read into my comments that I'm anti-law enforcement, I'm not. Uh, but until you've walked in somebody's shoes who is not uh, of a white color and understood the racism that they've had to deal with their entire lives, um, you just don't have a perspective. And I think if there's one silver lining in all of this, is that it's starting to really lay bare and open some eyes in our country about what it is to be a, a person of color and how the cards are inherently stacked against you. I, I'm a Canadian immigrant, came to the country when I was two years old and we didn't have a lot of money, but I had one real big advantage that I've become very aware of. And I grew up with a chip on my shoulder. I was the first to go to college I was blessed that some Jesuits at Marquette gave me a scholarship. And I thought I had it tough till I joined the Navy and started talking to some of my African-American counterparts. And, and this was in the 80s and heard the horrible stories of what they had to deal with. 
And now you look at what's going on in our own backyard. Um, and it's a very inconvenient but real truth. So I think some of the success is already happening because we're having conferences like this and we're having the difficult conversations. Uh, but when you don't have to struggle to find money to keep your Latino or African-American business open, and you have the same access to healthcare and uh, economic and educate, then we've won. And it's, it's a journey, it's gonna take time, uh, but it can be done. So that's my, that's my perspective. I think it can be changed in it. And I do think this time it will be different. I talked to a lot of uh, Latino and African-American leaders in education, uh, in, in, in the ministries and public schools. And there is a growing sense that finally, this time enough has been enough and something's actually gonna happen. So that, that encourages me a lot. Great, thanks. Uh, any others have comments about what success might look like? I'll just add, you know, I, I, I love the vision that you're painting, Rich, um, where these the differences are are not as painful. And I think for me, I, I also think about like it's it's I think it's really important to get clear about what is currently happening that is causing incredible suffering and inequity. And I think for me too, also imagining not just what does it look like when everyone has their basic needs met, when you have a house, when you can get food, when you can get healthcare, but what does it actually look like in a world where people are thriving and, and living kind of who they are and, and their lives with their communities and with one another? Like for me, there is an even bigger dream out there that we're not, we're not there yet, but I love thinking about that of like, what really could this, could this world look like um, as, as, we, as we move forward on this path? So also dreaming about not just what do we not wanna see happen, but what do we wanna see happen in its place? Thanks, Maria. And I just wanted to share that, you know, I think Rich hit it on, on the head when, when he said that unless you walked in, in, in the other person's shoes, you really don't understand what it took to get there, right? And so we were having this conversation uh, two days ago. And I remember uh, my friend had the same similar situation. She said, I remember my grandmother waking up at five in the morning, taking the bus an hour across town to get, you know, to leave me with the babysitter so I could, she could get to work, right? And so, uh, and I said, my mom used to do that. She would wake up at six in the morning so that she could go and, you know, clean rooms at the Fister and make sure that, you know, we had, you know, the most important thing that we had, you know, insurance and that we had, you know, food on the table. And then she would go at four o'clock and take another bus and work, you know, at cutting vegetables for another eight hours and would get to us at the babysitter at 11 o'clock at night and made sure that she was trying to get to the house, you know, uh, before the bus route ended. So these are struggles that are happening in communities of color in, in various communities. But, you know, then growing up and being told that you have to, you know, one, not have an accent two, you know, um, not to not you know you have to behave better and and you know than your counterparts that are non-latino and and um, get better grades and uh 
you know, my mom used to say, put your, your back up and your head up. You know, you can't be, don't slouch, you know. So these are things that are re the reality. The reality is unless you are a, a person of color or unless you come from a disadvantaged household, you can't really, I think it's harder for you to create that solution. And that's why we need to invite people and, and create pipelines to education so people who come from those backgrounds can create some of these solutions. And so I know, that I'll tell you that every time I wake up, I, I try to figure out how I can use economic development and business development to help somebody out of poverty. And that's my thing, right? And so um, I think we all have to have that same mentality of how we're going to help people progress because we're all interconnected. COVID taught us that we're all interconnected, but also because people are having real struggles out there and, uh, and they're silent. I mean, my mom doesn't talk about it. I don't really talk about it unless I have this platform right here. And, um, and, but I do talk to it to other Latinos. So maybe we have to you know, go out there and talk about the struggles, how hard it was to get a scholarship, how hard it was to, to, you know, when you're, when you're as an immigrant kid, right, you, you outgrow your parents' education when you're like at fourth grade. So like, for example, you get algebra and all these different, uh, you know, uh, subject matters thrown at you and your parents can't even help you with it. And there's no tutoring in your neighborhood because you live in a disadvantaged area, area uh, zip code. There's all these issues that make the struggle and, and make the platform for equity a lot stronger. And so I think this is where we're going to start to, to delve into those issues. And, and um, I, I love everything that everyone said here because it really hit the head, you know, it hit, you know, it, to me, it inspired me to say, hey, I need to do more. I need to figure it out. I need to connect with these people, <laughs> you know. So I, I really think the conference is going to do that. Thanks, Jessica. Paula? Yeah, and these uh, stories resonate uh, so, so deeply. Um, my, my parents uh, were refugees from Vietnam coming here uh, uh, to Green Bay um, because, uh, you know, they, uh, as a very newly arranged couple, mm -hmm. decided they wouldn't raise their family in a communist country. So sought help and received help and an invitation to come to Green Bay due to faith leaders, right, that stepped up and welcomed immigrants um, at, uh, to our country and to our state. And so these stories of, um, you know, overcoming educational levels, uh, battling that through with your parents and learning English as a second language, these stories all resonate. And as we think uh, to your question of what would success look like to me, um, it's how we come together to hear, uh, hear and animate our shared humanity, right? We can't know about each other's struggle until we sit and are willing to have conversations to actually hear them and to listen without question, right, of someone else's experience, even though that it, it could not make sense to you. So how do we come together to hold spaces to amplify our shared humanity for um, what, what really isn't about the right solutions because solutions are abound and there are many things that we can do, but uh, come together and bring our collective public will together to enact anything because we have so many solutions at our fingertips. It's about whether or not we are willing to come together and truly listen and embrace our shared struggle for collective change. So as I think about success metrics, that needs to come from the people most impacted, right? If we are not listening with open ears, just the same way Rich was talking about listening to his Navy colleagues, if we can't listen with open ears to understand and experience today, 
Um, I don't know how we would measure success because those same folks would need to say we're being successful, right? We can't just measure that without hearing from the people most impacted. And the other is just moving resources. We, we, we cannot get to a place of change if we don't get serious about aligning our dollars to our values uh, as a nation. Um, so I think the day that comes where those most impacted are standing up and saying we feel change uh, alongside of durable movement in resources and allocation because we're a nation of abundance, right? It's not because we don't have solutions and it's not because we don't have resources. It's whether or not we're willing to come together and move the dollars to what we have as collective values. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, we are, unfortunately are out of time. And it's amazing how fast time goes by when you have such a, a great group of guests and a great, uh, a great conversation. And I, I have to say that, that I, am, I am incredibly excited about the future of the state of Wisconsin, knowing that there are such dedicated leaders, and people involved, kind of taking us down this pathway to make our state more welcoming and more inclusive. So I just wanna say thank you to all of you for everything that you do. And thank you for supporting this conference and we're, we're really looking forward to it. So thank you, Rich Poirier, CEO of Church Mutual Insurance, uh, Jessica Caveso, CEO and President of the Latino Chamber of Commerce in Madison, Paula Traninzio, Director of MATCH at the UW Population Health Institute, and Maria Shermer devette uh, Community Coach for MATCH. Thank you very much, we appreciate your willingness to share with us the great work uh, you're doing on this conference. And we look forward to seeing you virtually at our conference in November. Yeah, I, I just wanna share uh, gratitude. I mean, when you when I hear you guys, it just, it's very inspiring. And for our two audience members, <laughs> I think, you know, if you just heard a little bit of what was said today, this is the type of expertise, this is the type of, uh, conversations we'll be having at the conference, which really is motivating for me personally. So thank you. Um, just a note on registration. Uh, we did reduce the fees uh, to the conference since we went virtual and there's an early bird special. So to attend uh, all three days of the conference, it's $125. Having said that, I, I want everybody to know uh, that we do have scholarships available. In fact, we, we will not turn anybody away from the conference uh, because you cannot afford it. Um, and so please do register. You can do that at t1w.org. That's for Tour 1 Wisconsin. So t1w.org, please register and join us. Um, and as a reminder, the conference dates are November 11, 12, and 13. Um, so we're going to kind of conclude uh, here our show. Um, and we just want to thank not only our guests, but also the many people who are helping to organize the conference. We've got over 75 people engaged around the state uh, on the planning and organizing committees. And we just wanna give a shout out to all of you. Thank you to our sponsors, especially Church Mutual Insurance, Associated Bank, and our special partnership with the UW Population Health Institute. Um, and Dave, you know, just as a parting thought here, uh, I'm just wondering, you know, um, despite COVID, you know, I, I'm grateful that you and I have had a chance to get together, even even face to face, a couple of times. So I was just wondering if you're planning on coming over, combing over for dinner tonight. Combing over for dinner. Oh, oh my gosh. Combing, combing, combing over. over for dinner. That's really great. You know, I, uh, I I have to conclude with just one one thought here, maybe a couple of thoughts. Um, but uh, you know, I, I really am often asked, um, you know, what why did you guys name the show Two Bald Guys? Other than the obvious, 
Um, but I but I have to say, and, and Jessica, will, she'll, you'll you'll remember this, Jessica. We, you know, when we responded to Rich's challenge to put this first conference together, Eric and I traveled the state of Wisconsin, meeting with minority community leaders, and we'd walk into to the office, and the first thing we'd invariably invariably say was, uh, "I bet you're wondering why two bald white guys from Wausau." are here to talk to you about diversity and inclusion, right? Remember Jessica? You, That's you, right. I remember that. <laughs> I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> but it just it just goes to show you we're, we're all in this together. And the only way we're going to effectuate the kind of change we want for our state is, is, if we, is, is if we work together. But Eric, I noticed this is the first show you've done since we've been doing this where you haven't used your headphones. I didn't use my headphones coincidentally today either. And I have to say... Um, I really appreciated it because otherwise those darn headphones really make a mess of my hair. So on, on that note, uh, I'd like to thank, <laughs> thank everybody for, for being here today and uh, what a great show. Thanks to our guests. Yeah. Thanks, Luke. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week, everybody.